0: Have you been told you need to stop doing what you love, whether it's exercise, running, or a sport? Well, here at Dynamic, we don't like that answer. In this podcast, we'll talk to leaders in the health and wellness space from Southwest Florida to get the solutions you need to get you back to doing what you love. Welcome to the Dynamic Naples podcast. What's going on (laughs) Southwest Florida today? I have a special guest. I have Jim St. Moore on the show. Jim, thank you for coming on. How are you doing today?
1: Hey, welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm doing great. Thanks. How are you?
0: Good, good. So uh, Jim is a running coach here in Naples, which we'll, we'll dig into all the variety of services he offers. But first, uh, Jim, I just want you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Where are you are from? We'll start there.
1: Yeah, so uh, I was uh, born in eastern Pennsylvania, grew up in upstate New York in the Utica area, and um, went to school in upstate New York as well uh, for college. Lived in L.A. for about nine years and um, lived in, then moved to New York City, where I lived for 14, 15 years. Uh, My wife is from here in Naples, and we got married here uh, just about uh, six years ago almost. And uh, we moved down here two and a half years ago. So I've been living in Naples for two and a half years.
0: Oh, nice! Congrats, you made it. I always say it to people who've moved to Florida, to Naples. Thank like you found it, you found paradise. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's it's
1: great. Yeah, yeah
0: Naples, Stables is amazing. Uh, We're out of curiosity. Where'd you guys get uh, married?
1: Uh, we got na- married at the Naples Beach Hotel, which oh, is nice. unfortunately, sadly, no longer around. Oh. Um, but yeah, we got okay. married a few years before they. I think they're converting it into condos or a, a resort. Four
0: seasons or something like that. Oh, is that over by Vanderbilt Beach? Is that like that uh, Naples One development?
1: No, it's down. Um, it, it's a. It's about. I want to say it's probably a good four miles south of Vanderbilt Beach Road. Okay. So um, it's it's over there. Is they had a golf course down there too? Um, so it's probably like like maybe like a mile or two north of downtown Naples. And if you're on the, like, let's say you're on the beach at Vanderbilt beach road. Mm-hmm. If you walked a few miles south, you I would see. end up in the area of where the Naples beach hotel used to be. So
0: did it get crushed by the hurricane?
1: I don't know. I yeah. mean, they were, well, they, it had closed down. Um, I want to say like maybe a year and a half ago. So oh, the, okay. it closed down and because it was purchased by a private, a private developer and they were, I guess, some of the things they were going through is they were going to make them the condos. And then I think, I think four seasons bottom and they're going to and they're going to turn it into a uh, in like a
0: resort. OK, got it. All right. Yeah. So let's get into the running. So have you what age were you when yeah. you started? Right. I mean, like running competitively, let's put it that way.
1: Yeah, well, I was in seventh grade and and uh, joined the wonderful sport of track and field. <laughs> I was a scrawny little kid, about five feet tall Mm -hmm. and about uh, 95 pounds soaking wet. And the cool thing about that sport was uh, it allowed me to try out a ton of different things. You know, I mean, I when I was in seventh grade, I did, you know, the hundred meter dash. I did the 50 meter hurdles. I threw the discus. I did the shot put. And there was this little scrawny kid just trying a bunch (laughs) of stuff out. And then uh, when I was a freshman in high school, um, I started distance running. Uh, for the track team, and I joined the cross country team. So I'd probably say when I started, uh, yeah, I mean, if you want to consider, you know, me, you know, racing 100 meter dash, when I was in seventh grade as the beginning of my competitive racing career, I was probably 12. Okay. Yep.
0: Yeah. And so, and then you migrated mostly towards like your, your bread and butter is like distance. That's what you love?
1: Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. That's the key. Yep. All
0: right. And out of curiosity, like what, uh, what draws you to distance running versus, say, sprinting?
1: Well, I mean, I'm, I'm more of a natural build of a, of a distance runner. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the things I, I enjoy with distance races is the ability to, um, you know, to utilize tactics and strategy, you know, um, I have pretty decent top end speed. I mean, nothing like, you know, like what a sprinter will, will be able to do, you know, like, you know, guys, you know, when they're, you know, in high school or heck even before that you know, uh, people who are sprinters and they're developing themselves, you know, by the, you know, like for example, when I was in high school, I mean, um, putting myself up against a high school sprinter, there would be no competition. You know, I mean, they would definitely be able to out, out sprint me in like a hundred meter dash. I'm just more built for for distance running, you know, like my yeah. type, you know, slow, you know, my type two fibers and, you know, slow twitch <laughs> are, are where I'm kind of at. But um, yeah, but the, the ability to, you know, use tactics and be able to kind of, you know, as you know, like you do the race or, or you know, 800 or the thousand 3, or, or 3,200 meter race, you know, you can go out and see how your competitors are doing. You can kind of respond to what they're doing. You can use, you know, tactics, you know, within each lap, ultimately going for a particular strategy at the end of the race. That's really uh, enticing to me. And um, same goes as well for, you know, like what a, what a lot of adults do um a lot of adult distance runners do these days which is you know competing in half marathons and marathon races mm-hmm. you know the ability to be able to you know use pacing and strategy is really really cool got it
0: yeah so you mentioned tactics so i, so I actually yeah. ran cross country for 2 years in high school um and, and i'm not a distance runner i don't like it personally and i i i i built the opposite of you like i'm i played hockey and lacrosse i was all oh, like, okay power sprinting, you know, that's kind of what I thought I was better at. Uh, But, you know, I kind of did it to stay in shape for hockey season. And um, so I developed a strategy. So I would uh, look at the other team warming up and you kind of get a feel for who's good and who's not and who's in the middle. And so I'd find somebody that I thought was probably better than me. And then I'd follow them through their whole race. And it was almost like I could, they were like pulling me through the race in a sense. They were your rabbit. Yes. And then at the end, I like the last like a hundred yards or something, you I would them. sprint past them. <laughs> <laughs> it worked every time. That was my strategy. Right. <laughs> that was my move. So That's
1: common. Yep. Yep. There Is you it? go.
0: Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Good. Oh,
1: yeah. Yep.
0: Cool. Um, okay. So and yeah, did you run cross country in college?
1: I sure did. Yep. Yep. At uh, SUNY Oswego, State University of New York uh, College of okay. Oswego and I ran there for four years. It's a Division three school. Um, really good running program. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. And uh, yeah, and that was back in, um, I graduated in 96, so it was quite a while ago.
0: Okay, and have you ever taken an extensive time off running? Have you ever taken like a couple of years off, or have you been running consistently?
1: Yeah, I mean, man, between the time between my, my senior year of college and my first marathon was like, seven or eight years. Oh, wow. I stopped running for a long time. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I kind of had burned myself out a bit actually. Uh Um, And I trained like a, like a, a crazy man, like my junior and senior year of college burned down a bit. And, uh, then a little bit of a wake up call and I was 29. Um, and, uh, there's kind of a funny story behind that. If you want me to tell it. (laughs) Yes. Go ahead. (laughs) All right. Well, I was uh, living in LA at the time Mm -hmm. and, uh, I, one of my several cars I owned there had broken down again. <laughs> and um, I was in downtown and I had gone off the subway train and I had to make, I had to go to catch a bus. And, forget it. and um, it, I forget, I had to make 30 seconds. I had to sprint up the street and I got to the bus stop and I was, my hands were on my knees. I was completely out of breath. And I'm like, dude, you are a shadow of your former self (laughs) because I'll tell you, man, when I was in college, especially that last, when I was a senior at man, I was so, I was crazy fit, super, super, super fit. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like one of my races I ran, I did a five mile race and I averaged 515 a mile. And so I was, I was really doing well. And uh, so I was like, okay, this is a really big wake up call. Like I am seriously out of shape. Like I wasn't like overweight or anything like that, but um, at least I thought. And so my brother-in-law, uh, he was going to uh, run the Marine Corps marathon. And this is like 10 months down the road. I said, Hey man, if you train where you live, which was, uh, I think in Michigan at the time, and I was in LA, I said, I'll train here and we'll both run it together. And uh, so that's what I did. I created my own training program um, for myself,
0: <laughs> yep.
1: and I trained like I trained pretty hard, and I ran my first marathon at the Marine Corps Marathon back in, oh my gosh, I can't even think of it now. Maybe 2000 and what was it 2005? I think, and so that was my very first marathon, and that got me back
0: into distance running. And is that where Jim Santamore coaching was born?
1: no <laughs> no I actually um, uh, when I moved to New York back in two, New York City back in 2006 um I started coaching about I think 2008 or 2009 uh, I wanted to just give a shout out to um, the urban athletics crew up in New York City Jerry McCarry uh, who's the owner with his wife Kara And uh, Alan Batista, he was one of my co coaches. So those guys were great. I coached with them. Uh, Jerry was really instrumental in teaching me a lot about, you know, the art of coaching and, and methodology. And uh, so I started coaching there. Um, And the thing that led me to coaching actually was I taught briefly in New York City, uh, public school system. And I realized that I really enjoyed education. But uh, public school teaching wasn't really for me. And um, I said, you know what, I really enjoy running, I enjoy education. And maybe I can combine them. And I found Urban Athletics, and they were looking for a coach at the time. And kind of the rest is history. At that point, you know, I called Jerry, and he said, Hey, I'm looking for somebody, you know, want to come up and meet me. And I talked to him, and he hired me right away. And uh, it was great, because um, he really gave me a lot of free reign to kind of learn on my own. Um, my learning curve was really steep, you know, um, I my own group and, um, you know, he gave me, he really kind of let me feel things out for myself, which I really owe a lot to him for doing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that was the beginning of, you know, I've been coaching now for guys is like year number 15.
0: Wow, that's incredible. Um, I, I want to pause right there on that because I want to come right back to that uh but I do want to go back to how you were talking yeah. about you took 7 8 years off what um yeah. because I'm a physical therapist obviously I'm interested in pain and injury right so when you came back to <laughs> running did did, I, did yeah. anything did you have any pain did anything uh present like a challenge to you that surprised you
1: yeah yeah you probably won't be too shocked by this but within about a month or so I started getting shin pain <laughs> <laughs> that's
0: probably the most <laughs> And I thing. looked it up
1: and mm-hmm. yeah
0: sorry that's probably the most yeah yeah
1: so so yeah yeah and i was reading about it i'm like man you know so you know icing it and and reading up on it and see you know so what i saw was that it's kind of a transitionary pain you know from when a person starts from relatively no activity or low activity to increasing their activity Mm -hmm. you know it it develops and thankfully for me it probably went away after a few weeks
0: you just adapted your body was probably like already primed for it. it just you just need to kind of get through it. Yeah. All
1: right. What yeah. Are- yeah. Yeah. My body was like, Oh, we're doing this again. Okay. I get it. Yeah. Yeah.
0: <laughs> um, so I'm assuming that's a conversation you have often with new runners, right. <laughs> and like what to yep. do about it. That's right. Do you have any yep. go-to fixes for it?
1: Uh, Yeah. It's to go talk to people like you <laughs> 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 pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. For real. You know, I mean, I mean, you know, when, when all my runners, I tell them, I'm like, you know, I mean, my, as a coach, since, you know, like a person like yourself is the expert, you know, like I have certain strengths of my own that I feel like I specialize in as an instructor. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to ailments and stuff, you know, I tell my runners, I'm like, look, you know, and this this is my injury guide. I say, look, if you, if you got pain and you're on a workout, you got to stop and walk it off. And if it's gone, you can start jogging again. If, if it's gone, continue to work out. If it comes back, you got to stop and walk it off. And it persists. You got to go see a PT right away. I mean, that's what I tell them, you know, and, um, luckily for me, I've been blessed. I mean, really over 15 years, I've only had one or two runners who haven't been able to complete their program with me, which, which I've been really, really happy about. And, you know, um, self-reflecting i think it is about i feel that my program is is pretty gradual in the beginning but i do build in a sense of you have to listen to your body you know and i tell my runners don't be here you know if you gotta stop a workout always in the next you know what i mean but for sure when people you know especially like you know my runner who you saw Mm -hmm. i told her you know she started with me And she was having this nagging, persistent, you know, uh, I think it was a shin issue or knee. Mm -hmm. I'm not really, I I forget. But I told her, I'm like, go, you know, go see a PT, you know, because they have, because people like yourself, you know, you have the expertise of what to look for and you have the machines and you have the technology, you know, me, you know, I'm out there with them on a course, you know, I don't have the technology you know, and and I know you know my strengths and also you know my limitations as far as like what to look for. So, you know, my my general thing is if you're feeling pain, ice it. You know, but I absolutely if it persists, you gotta go see a PT. You have to.
0: Yeah, and actually, I really love your advice to walk it off. I mean, there is more to that than than just like taking a break. You're actually because yeah. you you know you, you have inflammation turns into swelling because I kind of see inflammation and swelling as two different things. Yeah. Inflammation is stage one of healing, Swelling's left leftover components that you got to mitigate. And yeah. that goes through the lymphatic system. And the best thing to do, the lymphatic system requires muscle action, muscle light muscle pumping to get the swelling out of there. And probably the best way to do that is walking. So I think that's yeah. like fantastic advice.
1: Oh, thanks. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Um I'm, I'm that's, glad that's the right path.
0: <laughs> yeah. Actually, I just had a buddy of mine, he's strained his quad and I was like, he's like, should I, you know, go take some you uh, know, Advil? I'm like, no, walk. Go walk. <laughs> that's what's gonna mitigate some of that swelling, especially when yeah. it's an acute injury like that. So that's that's fantastic.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, you know, my the last thing I guess I would say, or just something to add on to that is you know, our bodies are so adapted. I mean, it's you know, we're 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 living in a body that's you know, the human, the modern human systems, like what, 60,000 years old, you know, so our (laughs) bodies are intelligent. And if it's barking at you, it's, there's obviously something happening that you should eliminate from doing. (laughs) So, you know, or at least just temporarily, you know, you know, maybe, maybe you started the run and you were too tight. Um, Maybe there's some over, overworking going on, you know, Um, and uh, also, you know, one of my specialties is, is form and mechanics. You know, maybe there's something going on there, you know, like for example um, you know, I used to have, um, I, I had an awful case of it syndrome uh, back. I don't know, maybe 2007, 2008. And I was also I was having a bunch of, of knee pain and I taught myself how to midfoot strike um, after watching some really old, like when YouTube first started out and um, uh, they New Balance had a great video on midfoot striking, and I taught myself how to do it. I didn't have any knee pain from that day on. Every now and yep. then, something would hear up, but uh, so now many of my runners understood how to how to to strike the ground in a midfoot way as opposed to heel striking. Yep, and um, cause I, I found it really helps me too. So.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because it's a conversation I also have with my runners a lot because, you know, heel striking, I'm not saying heel striking is necessarily bad, mm-hmm. but if you're having issues, that's the kind of the first thing I look at. Are you heel striking or midfoot striking? Uh, yep. What we see a lot is, you know, you see a lot of these cushion shoes, you know, a lot of people think, okay, a cushioned shoe, less impact. That's the thought, but it's kind of counterintuitive because what actually really ends up happening, there's studies done this, that mm-hmm. the more cushion there is, actually the harder you're pushing your foot into the ground, because you're trying right. to find the ground, right? So you need that sort of proprioceptive input. So you, yep. so, and the hardest part of your foot is your heel. So you're yep. hitting the, the ground with your heel to find input from the ground. So it's just the cushion. shoe yeah. tend to lead to a heel striking pattern and that changes mechanics and may or may not cause pain. Um, and yeah. So I always tell people like, if yeah. you were to run barefoot, you would never heel strike because it'd be way too painful. Uh so I think that's what yep. really spurred the whole barefoot running sort of thing. And I'm not saying that's the right way to go, but I think midfoot striking is probably way better than heel striking.
1: Yeah, and you know, on that too, one of the things I noticed when when the barefoot craze came about, because I was living I was I was coaching, that started a few years after I, I started coaching. And one of the things I noticed was people had a misconception that if they wear these minimal shoes are going to automatically midfoot strike. And that's not, that was not what I saw. And some studies, and I don't know if you saw this too, or if you would agree with this, this or not, but there was a lot of studies too, that were showing that people wearing minimal shoes were still heel striking. And so that's when I realized. Okay. People have to realize that their body posture is going to set them up for midfoot striking. So we would do drills and I would get people, you know, I'd video record them so they could see what it's like in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, you know so with a lot of people I got a midfoot striking at the end of one session which I was like yes because it took me like a few weeks <laughs> <laughs> so I would joke with my runners I'm like man it's so great that I'm able to teach people how to do this in like one hour because like it took me a long time
0: <laughs> oh you got you gotta tell me do you have a, a drill that you use because you know it's it's a challenge it's yep. to, to change one's mechanics what, yep. what's your drill that you use
1: yep so what we do is uh, in, in a um, an initial mechanics uh, analysis. What I will have people do is so first they have to understand that the the sensation of midfoot striking as opposed to heel striking in the beginning, if people aren't used to it, is feels really different. So you know, going from the heel to the midfoot, even though it might not seem like a big deal, feels gr- feels very significant. And mm-hmm. as far as the difference is concerned, For example what do is we. And I have them, And shout out to this goes to Kara from Urban Athletics, because she also gave me some tips on this too. You imagine that you're like a ski jumper, right? Mm-hmm. And so you have your feet together, you're standing still and you lean over like you're a ski jumper. And when you feel like you're going to fall forward, you take one foot, doesn't matter which one and you let it just go out and catch you. You don't mm-hmm. actively reach your leg out. You just let that foot kind of come off the ground and stop you from falling forward. And what will happen is if you do it correctly, your foot's going to move like maybe a foot and you're going to be on your midfoot. And what's going to end up happening is you're going to feel that there's going to be a bend in your leg and your knee from your upper leg and your lower leg. And you're going to feel that pressure on the mid part of your foot and you're going to feel the pressure in your calf. So now the pressure is not is off your hard tissue and it's actually the energy is going into your soft tissue as, as you, as you know. So then what I'll have them do is I'll have them come back and then they do the same thing with their other foot. I have them come back standing. And then what I have them do is take a few steps, keeping that forward lean going from their ankles. I tell them, don't lean from your waist. It's from your ankles. Uh-huh. Another cue that I like to use visual cues with my runners too. It's like if there's a pole atta- if you're attached to a pole, And you're tied to a pole from your ankles up to your head, right? So you can't bend at your waist. And then imagine leaning forward, right? So that keeps a rather upright posture, but still like even a three degree lean is going to help you fall forward a bit. And then you have to catch yourself. So generally within about 15 minutes, what I'm going to have them do is taking some very awkward looking running steps. So they're just kind of shushing along the ground a little bit. Mm-hmm. and most of the time the feedback i get is a lot of people are like wow this feels really weird it feels really awkward i'm like yeah because you're now off your heel you're landing more um your center of gravity is out in front of you the gravity is pulling you forward and you're actually not working as hard as you might if you were heel striking because i know the big adage that around the running world is you know if you're heel striking you're breaking yourself right you're stopping yourself. And just like, you know, it's not like a a massive amount of time, but like microseconds, you're stopping yourself. And over a course of any type of distance, like a mile, two miles, a marathon, that braking force is going to add up into fatigue, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry.
1: Yeah, no, that's okay. So the, the final thing is usually at the end of the hour, I have them running where they're kicking back their foot after it lands on the ground, almost in a circular motion like the chi running, you know, proponents might say, you know, and um, for a lot of people, again, they're like, whoa, this feels really different. And, and a lot of people, they're like, yeah, it feels so much better. The, the where some people might abandon it, and I do say this, and I'm like, look, you got to be careful, because it's going to change where the load factor goes. You're going to feel it in your calves. And I say this all because this is what I experienced. Mm-hmm. My calves were pretty sore after I started doing this for the first time for a few days, but that goes away. But most people um, have to be careful. Their Achilles could get strained and their calves could get strained too. So I tell people, I'm like, look, if you're going to pursue this, you got to be super careful. You have to back off if it hurts. And you got to stretch like crazy. So that's what I tell them. And, and some people have kept it up. Others are like, nah, it's not really for me. So it's like, okay, yeah. you know, um, but oh. my whole thing is to try to like plant
0: that seed. Yeah. Some people can get away with heel striking and they're fine. So, okay. All right. That's all right. Yep. Um, but there's so yep. many, so many thoughts you stimulate while you're talking. First of all, I think, I think we should record a video of that ski jumper drill. I think that's amazing. I've never oh, yeah. used that or heard of it. I love it. Um, what, what I do a lot of times. Yeah, is, man. Um, yeah. I, I got to see this in action and, you know, maybe we'll get together and make a video or something like that. But uh, one thing sure. I do yeah. is, you know, I, I'll tell people to shorten their stride. Like if you, if you watch like, um, I don't know, aboriginals run their barefoot, they actually have a very short stride. It's kind of actually almost funny to watch. Um, because most people are overstriding. Mm-hmm. Yep. So one of the things I tell people to yep. do is, you know, I, I've read and I've done some continuing education on running that 180 strides per minute is sort of like the, the sweet yep. spot for a lot of people. So if you set a metronome and that's yep. pretty quick, that's two strides per second, right? So if you set a metronome and stride every yeah, three, click yeah. of that metronome, it's going to make you take a shorter stride. So that's where, that's kind of where I start. Um, uh, but I definitely want to try a little ski jumper drill. That sounds awesome. Uh, going back to yeah, the... Yeah, it's
1: great. Yeah.
0: No, sorry, go ahead. Continue. Oh. Yeah,
1: no, I was going to say that the, the the body positioning, the angle of the body at the beginning, mm-hmm. and also there's one more component when people are learning how to do this, the first step they take has to be a catching action, not an active reach out. Uh-huh. If they can just catch themselves on the first one, that's going to set them up usually for the rest. Because the reason I say that is from my experience, if my runners try to reach out actively, they're, most of the time they're going to end up just kill striking. Yeah. Um, so they have to let themselves catch. So the body posture is key. It's absolutely key. And that was one of the main things I noticed that was missing in the barefoot running shoe education is that, so I'm like, all right, they're not going to do it. I'm going to offer these things, <laughs> Yeah,
0: you, go, perfect. <laughs> you know,
1: because there was no education about the body posturing, um, except on like some videos and stuff. So yeah. that's why I said, okay, I really when new rumors would come to me. I would say, my form, like, it's also on your bike and, and check that out.
0: So. got it. Yeah. Um, so it sounds like, like a Ford trunk lean is a really good cue as well. Um, so you can probably just watch them run and not even look at their feet, just look at their trunk and see what's happening. I'm imagining.
1: Yeah. That, yeah yep. That, that can be part of it for sure.
0: Yep. And so yep. I also yep. imagine that like new runners, like maybe they didn't do cross country in high school or something like that. Like it's a skill mm-hmm. just like anything else. Running is a skill. Uh, and yep. if you walked your entire life and cause walking is heel striking, that's kind of normal yep. gait, which, and running is yep. different mechanics. I, you know, I think yep. a lot of people just translate their walking into running and it's, it's not yeah. it quite play out that way.
1: Well, and you know, another thing too, and inherently that's difficult is a lot of people come to coaches like myself because they can't see themselves run, you know, and they're like, I need help with my form. I'm like, okay, yeah, that's good. You know, I'm going to video record you. And most people don't know. So when they first see their, their form, they're like, oh. That's what it looks like. And it's like, yeah, I get it. You know, you know, the only time runners really get to see themselves run is if they run by a window or something, they can see their reflection and it can be somewhat shocking. Like, Oh, that's what I look like. So yeah. I mean, another thing too, I recommend to people, you know, just like in any sport, you know, amateur athletes can learn a lot by watching professionals. And, um, uh, there's tons of great training videos of Kenyan and East African runners, Ethiopian runners, running races, and also running track workouts. And a lot of those people have really great foot strike and really great posture. And so what I would recommend to people is if they want to get an, an, an idea of a really efficient way to carry yourself and also to strike the ground is to watch those folks um, do training. And yeah. there's tons of videos out there about it. Yeah.
0: I've seen a lot. You know, the very first thing you'll notice is that their foot, when it hits the ground is directly underneath their hip. That's not out in front of them. Yep. Uh, You can almost draw a straight line from their ear to their hip to their ankle. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a, it's a big difference. Yeah, for sure. Another thing too, I see a lot, which I think contributes, well, let me back up. So you mentioned sort of that, that breaking motion and I think that's the main mechanism for shin splints. Um, Mm -hmm. That seems to be like probably the most common injury. Um, Yeah. So most muscles will get either strained, torn, irritated, tendinitis, any of those from the negative phase of what a muscle does. So if you picture a bicep curl, if you curl it up and then you lower the weight slowly, the muscle's still in tension, but it's lengthening, that's the negative or eccentric phase. Okay. So that's that's what tibialis anterior, that's the muscle on the shin, does. And so when your foot is coming down, the toes are coming down, the tibial anterior is under eccentric load, and that I think is probably the main mechanism for, uh, you know, heel strike leading to uh, a tendonitis or shin splint. Basically, it's kind of like a tendonitis. Yeah. Um, I should mention too that true shin splints are a little bit different. We use the term shin splint to mean pain in the shin and tibial anterior strain, but there is mm-hmm. another condition that's actually a medical emergency where the, you have a, a compartment syndrome where you, inflammation and you have to get it like relieved. That's a totally different thing. So what I'm saying, shin splints, I mean basically tendonitis of the tibialis anterior so i just want to throw that out there because you know that is a thing um, yeah
1: you know i'm, I'm sorry Can i just add something to that real quick yeah yeah i did have way back i mean this is like maybe a couple of years into my uh coaching career uh i had a runner who had who had like compartment syndrome
0: yep talking nice. about
1: the the uh, compartments in their shin i never ooh. heard about that and they're saying like releasing the compartments i'm like wow this is this is yeah. crazy. I had never heard about anything like that. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. There's fascia that like, basically there's three compartments in the lower leg and okay. uh, have, there's a fascia that wraps around a number of muscles that creates one compartment and that thing can get so swollen and inflamed that it can start to compress nerves and you get like yeah. a hmm. foot drop. And so then they have to kind of surgically go open the fascia and I don't even know if they drain it. Or they do some sort of release to, wow. cause that can be kind of emergency. That's rare. I've actually never seen that in my career, but so, oh, okay. When people say shin splints, you kind of have to make that differentiation which one there is. So we're talking about the, the typical you know, shin pain kind of variety. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other thing I see a lot of stiff calf, right? And this is why I think stretching calves can help is
1: because
0: yep. tib anterior and the gastroc, the calf, they do opposite things. You know, tib anterior pulls the foot up towards your nose and the gastroc pushes it down like stepping on a gas pedal. So it's kind of like a two different strings of a puppeteer. Yep. And if your calf is so stiff, it's pulling you down. And that's most people because most people are wearing shoes that are elevated. So your foot sort of adopts that position, especially high heels. Or if you're in high heels all the time, your calf is going to tend to be stiff. Then your tib anterior has to fight against the restriction on the backside on the calf. So I always say it's like running with a handbrake on. (laughs) So that's another mechanism I see a lot.
1: Interesting. Okay. Yeah, you know, I had heard... I mean, the description I heard was nowhere near as what, as good as what you just said, but <laughs> several years ago, I had heard that about shin splints that possibly one of the causes was tight calves. Mm-hmm. So I would tell people I'm like, hey, you know, if you're feeling some shin pain, it could be due to your tight calves, you know? Yeah. And I don't know if I'm, yeah, I mean, that was about as the extent as I could go with it because that's yeah. just what I heard. So, okay, well,
0: yeah, I'm validating.
1: <laughs> yeah, if you're
0: validated, you're fighting against your own restriction, basically. <laughs> That's exactly yeah. what it is. So yeah. uh, that's okay. that's really common. I think those are the two main mechanisms. Gotcha. So oh, I want to bring up another thing, okay? Yeah. Uh, because this is like, I don't want to say I'm passionate about it, but I, okay, cartilage. <laughs> so because I hear people come okay. into my office all the time. Uh, I got to get a new replacement. I ran too much in my life, and now my car will just shit, mm-hmm. and uh, I have to get a new replacement. I'm like, I did, you know, I just don't buy the fact that running breaks down carlish. This whole yeah. wear and tear model, I I think we're gonna find out is wrong. Okay, maybe not wrong. You can do anything with really bad mechanics and you know screw up stuff, but. I mean, right. there's been studies where they look at the cartilage of runners, like marathon runners versus people who are sedentary. And the car- the cartilage and the marathon runners are thicker. Yeah. And that, that's a general principle of the Is there's a principle called Wolf's Law. Like the more stimulus you put into a tissue, the more it yep. grows. That's how you know bodybuilding works. Same yep. is true of bone and, and tendon and ligament and cartilage. Um, so I, I think we're gonna find out, and I actually just dug up a paper on this that um uh, you can have a gut dysfunction that leads to cartilage breakdown. I think that's going to be a bigger culprit. So AKA poor diet choices, <laughs> yep. sweet tooth, anybody. All right. So I think that we're going to find out has more uh, damage to cartilage than running. Cause normally running is a normal human function. We're supposed to be doing that. You're supposed to be chasing stuff, throwing spears at it, you know. It's yeah. I. so I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so that's my little rant. I just had to get that out there because it well, drives me crazy. I hear that constantly,
1: I know. And you know, and 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 the next thing I say, obviously, is a caveat that I'm not a PT and I'm not a doctor. But you know, one of the other things I hear too is and, and and you know, let me know what you think about this. But you know, people bringing up the fact that oh, doesn't running cause arthritis? And in the beginning, I was like. I don't know, would, would that be true? But I mean, after reading, you know, um, literature, the benefits, you know, for example, you know, uh, running, increasing bone density, um, you know, I, I was just like, it doesn't add up, right? Or, it, doesn't, right? It, it doesn't really add up. So right. yeah, so I've heard those excuses too. Oh, my knees are bad. You know, I'm like, well, you're you're not, I don't know. I mean, you got to, there's other things probably that are causing that, you know, if you're running properly or if you're, you know, if, if you don't get into it gradually enough, maybe, yeah, you could hurt yourself. But for me personally, again, you know, and this happened to me as a runner, I'm not just, you know, armchair worrying it from like, you know, perspective of, yeah, you can f- fix your knee issue. If you have a midfoot strike, my like I'm not a super athlete and my midfoot strike helped my knees. So that's why after that happened, and I know, listen, I'm only one person, you know, and like you said, you know, heel striking, you know, could work for some people and work for them forever. But I just, I, I have heard those similar arguments and I'm like, man, I just don't buy it.
0: I don't you know? buy it either. Yeah. So uh, wear and tear, I, I, I call it sad and poor. So sad meaning standard American <laughs> diet, like sad, the standard, standard American diet, I think poor diet choices. And then, poor being like yeah. poor mechanics, like maybe you just don't know how to run, yeah. or maybe poor like loading issues you did your sat on your butt for ten years, then you try to run a marathon without training, like some poor decision making yeah. you know <laughs> thats so I call it sat and poor, yeah. right? I think that's really more accurate than wear and tear
1: uh, by the way, on that note, what you said about you know being you know just sitting on your you know in a chair for a while and then deciding to run a marathon a lot of people, one of the most common questions I get from people is how long should I give myself to train for a marathon? And I tell people a year, at least, you know, it lets you go through a couple of macro cycles of training, um, as opposed to, you know, I cringe now when I look at things like the 16 week marathon program, I'm like, Ooh, yeah. yikes for who <laughs> somebody who's done 12 marathons or like a beginner. And, you know, it just doesn't, I feel that person like a year. It's a really nice time to allow yourself to gear up and get maximally fit for that effort, you know, because one of the things about the marathon, man, I I tell people, I'm like, it's an equal opportunity torture race. (laughs) I don't care if you're an elite or if you're a person, you know, run your first marathon when you're like 55 or 60, it doesn't matter, you know, and you have to get ready for it. And um, yeah, so sorry, that's just a quick side note about
0: that. Yeah, no, I love that. Um, what about like, what are people missing in that program? So someone who wants yep. to start running. Yep. Um, so for example, I, I see like recovery being a big hole in that people's game. They don't, they don't prioritize mm-hmm. things like nutrition, yep. things like sleep, you know. You know. Yep. What are some other holes in, in people's games?
1: Sure. So their, their, their VO2 max uh, development is, is not there. And, um, I think that's a major, uh, there, there. are and okay. So what I'm about, to um, is very specific to uh, each person. So hey, I wait, just want to, uh, you, you know, broke,
0: you broke up there for a second. Can you repeat that last? Statement? Oh,
1: sure. Yeah. The stuff I'm about to mention mm-hmm. is very specific to each person. Like, and what I'm about to mention about is like speed, for mm-hmm. example. So one of the big things i noticed that a lot of people are lacking is a couple of things their their own individual development of their uh maximum aerobic capacity and also their uh, again their um lack of development of their top end speed mechanics and finally um i know sorry i know you asked for one hole i guess i'm giving no 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 give me as many as you want (laughs) (laughs) and finally Um, When we're talking about marathon training, not enough long runs, not enough. I mean, people may hear what I'm about to say and would cringe. um, But for most of my marathon runners, I like them to do 10, 20 plus mile runs. And now that is not every weekend for the last 10 weeks up to a marathon. It's spread out over the course of, you know, five, the final five months, four to five months of their training. And the reason I say that is because, you know, I've done 18 marathons. I've done three 100 mile races and I've completed a 50 mile race. I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back, but I do, I am adding that to say that I've trained the improper way and I've trained really the correct way. And the three things I mentioned, the lack of aerobic development, top end mechanic speed and those endurance runs Those are the things that need to be developed and be, to be able to get to a marathon. I don't care who you are and get to that starting line and say, you know what? I know exactly what I need to do. I got this race in my back pocket. And that's a huge thing that can make a big difference between a person who runs a super confident race and feels great about their participation in the sport. And a person who ends up at mile 16 with 10 more miles to go. And guess what? I've been there. (laughs) And like, (laughs) Oh God, I wasn't prepared for this. I wasn't prepared. So, um, so the, just those holes, you know, what I have, and I, in fact, I have a runner right now I'm training using that one year as a guide, as a guide. Okay. That gives you five to six months to train your top end aerobic speed. And what I'm talking about is, is 5k speed, 10k speed. I'm talking like fast And what that is for you as an individual runner is for you, you know, you, we both know about the VDOT system developed by Jack Daniels. Um, I've been using that for my entire career. And, um, you know, doing that phase training, you're not longer than 10 mile training run, you know, even four or five months in 10 to 12 miles. But what you are focusing on is a lot of interval work, 400s and 800s. And, The other hole I mentioned about their top end mechanical speed doing some 200 meter repetitions. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. And again, are you 25? Are you 70? Are you 55 years old? What are the speeds for those workouts? I don't know. It's depending upon your own, you know, uh, ability, but then, and by the way, again, shout out to Jerry up at urban athletics because he helped me develop this and, and he was really instrumental in that. But then finally, where, where I kind of develop my own program is, is kind of looking at this six, five to six month split between each of these things. Finally, with about six months to go for the marathon, that's when you start to move into your longer runs of 15 miles, right? 18 miles, longer lactate threshold development runs. You know, if you can get up to, I mean, my best marathon, which was a two hour, 45 minute race. This goes back. I'm 49 now. I think it was 39 or 40 when I ran that. I mean, I had my tempo efforts were up around 10 to 12 miles, you know, like in the high five minute per mile range and nonstop, you know, like I was cranking them out, Mm -hmm. but I built up to that phase, And without that aerobic development from the first five months of your training, you can't get to those longer threshold elements because you got to build up your speed first. And in my (laughs) non-scientific description or translation of what aerobic capacity development does, to me, it kind of teaches your body to shuttle around resources, the oxygen that you need, right? Mm -hmm. Those interval works, those 5K races that you'll go do maybe once a month, maybe a couple times a month, maybe. It really is intense, but it teaches your body how to use those resources. So when you get to the end of your, the second half of your marathon training, now your body knows how to use those resources. So you're in those longer tempo threshold efforts. And when you go to start do those long runs, you have the strength there to get into those runs and be able to finish them. And what ends up happening, man, you end up lining up on the race, After a year of development, safely, (laughs) again, Lane Payne, be your guide, right? Got to back off if you have to. And man, there's nothing better. Like that PR race I just told you about, Uh I walked up to the start and I had it in my back pocket. And I'm like, I'm just going to go do what I'm going to do. I knew what my race pace felt like. I knew what it felt like. You know, I just generally had been training with a regular old stopwatch, not a GPS watch or anything like that. And- And uh, I'd go down the track, and I would do my workout pace was to be. And so I went on on the road, and I I I ticked off the miles at every single pace I needed to be at. So there you go. So those are the three holes I would say: high anaerobic development, your mechanical speed, and your um your long runs too. Oh, that's a
0: that's a fantastic answer. Have you heard of Dr. Mike T. Nelson by any chance? No, it doesn't strike a bell. Okay, man, I think you would love his stuff because a lot of the things you're describing is yeah. what he talks about and puts the science behind it. For example, you mentioned lactate, right? So lactate is, oh yeah. So people always say oh, that burn is lactic acid. Well, really, what it is, lactic acid disassociates into lactate, which is a fuel source and mm-hmm. acid, hydrochloric acid, and that's yeah. the burn you feel is the the, the dis- disassociation of that that hydrochloric yep. acid and the lactate. Uh, what's cool about his this physiologic flexibility program he put together, he talks about all these sort of homeostatic levers. And that's one of them, sort of the ability to tolerate that acid in the in the muscle. Yep. Uh, but what's cool is there's other systems like oxygen versus CO2. So uh, oh. ox- oxygen is alkalinic and carbon dioxide is uh, acidic. Yep. So if you get a buildup of um, CO2 in the system, that's also an acidic environment. Uh, so there's a term you may have heard this term CO2 tolerance. Like how how much can you hold, right? Yeah. So someone who can hold their like the um the we call them uh, free divers that can hold their breath for like four minutes they have incredible CO2 tolerance. Actually, I think you can hold it a lot longer than that. I think they're up to eighteen yeah. minutes these days. So what's really cool about training these systems is that you can train one system and it confer, confers benefit to another, words, another. So in other words, if you build up your ability to tolerate CO2 in your body, you will also be able to tolerate the uh, quote-unquote lactic acid buildup in the muscle. So you can improve your VO2 max. So doing something as simple as going for a walk and doing breath holds can improve your VO2 max. It's really cool stuff.
1: So. You know, <laughs> a funny side note about that. Well, maybe not so funny if you think about what he went through. But uh, there's this there's this guy, um, uh, this this great runner, who's kind of like a hero of mine. Uh, back in the '40s, this Czech runner named Emil Zatopek. Do, do you does that strike a bell? bell Emil um, Zat, yeah. Zatopek. So this guy was renowned for his training methods, and he is the one and only runner to have well. I could be wrong. There might be an English runner um, uh, the, about five or ten years ago who did this, but there's there's a triple in the Olympics, the 5K, the 10K, and the marathon. And emo back in the 40s, won all three at one Olympics. And he jumped in apparently in the marathon in the last minute, <laughs> and he won it. But this guy's <laughs> training methods were apparently legendary recommend to anybody listening to do the following thing but one of my uh colleagues back in new york he said yeah like email used to like do 200 meter sprints um holding his breath almost the entire time i'm like what there you go
0: <laughs> yeah that's it that's <laughs> that's exactly it
1: <laughs> use it with a word of caution if you feel lightheaded stop doing that
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool i love that kind of stuff even things like so like thermal regulation so a lot of people are getting into the saunas and ice baths that can also yeah. confer benefit to all the things we're talking about so it, it's all really cool science that's yeah. coming out now yeah yeah Okay, so uh, tell me about some of the services you offer. I kind of looked at your website. You do one-on-one coaching. You do group coaching. Yep. Give me kind of a mm-hmm. broad stroke of all your services.
1: Sure. So since I've been down here, it's only been one-on-one. Um, uh, there, I haven't really gotten any groups going down here, um, but it's mainly one-on-one services. You know, um, if there's anybody out there listening who has a group of people who might want to get together and have group coaching, I can definitely do that. Uh, In fact, um, when I was in New York, each week I would coach six groups of people. So, you know, throughout the week, you know, six to almost seven groups of people. So I used to do that a lot. You know, obviously, you know, the the running community up in New York is hundreds of thousands, if not, you know, millions of people. (laughs) So there were just people signing up for group coaching up there. I mean, the running community up there is awesome and it's huge. Down here, it's a little smaller. Uh (laughs) Um, So like I said, you know, mainly one-on-one. Um, and, uh, I also do online coaching too. So if a person wants to, uh, just have, um, you know, me send them what they're supposed to do every week, um, then I can do that. And they're like, no, I don't want to do any in person. I just want to be told what to do each day, you know, through a schedule. And what I do is I use uh, Google sheets for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I create a really nice spreadsheet. Um, and they can still, even if they're just doing online coaching, they can still phone me, we can Zoom chat, we can text, we can email, no problem. Um, but the one-on-one sessions are done at a day at a location that usually I try to cater to the runner. Um, and one of the great things is I've discovered down here, a lot of the streets are often uh, empty during the day. Mm-hmm. So for a lot of my runners, we've actually been able to do our workouts right in their neighborhoods, You know, right in front of their houses sometimes. Oh, um, nice. So that's been a really cool thing. Um, so one of the things I discovered in New York is if you can make a course out of almost anywhere, (laughs) so, you know, any street, as long as there's not a lot of traffic on it. And, uh, so that's what we do. And the one-on-one sessions are generally interval based, you know, we'll do faster, 200 meter repetitions. We'll do 400 and 800 meter intervals. Um, you know, either of the maximum aerobic capacity type or the threshold building types and with my own runners I also include for free including in the price is a is a weekly schedule as well so
0: oh very cool how do people yeah. find you are you on instagram or do you have a website where where is the best place for people to contact you
1: yep yep so they can contact me through uh, Saintamourcoaching.com, and that's uh, spelled s a i n t uh a m o u r coaching.com and I run that with my wife. Uh, she's also a certified coach as well. Uh, or they can call me too. I'll give you my, I'll, I'll, I'll say my number. Um, the best way to actually reach me too is by text or phone. You know, I'm always, always have my phone with me. And that is area code 718-350-9348.
0: Yes. And I meant to ask about your wife because I did see her on the website. <laughs> yep. um, so she, she's, she as avid as a runner as you are?
1: Uh, she is. Yes. Yes, she is. Yeah. She's, she's completed a marathon herself. And, um, she is a, uh, she is a big workout fanatic more, more so than me. You know, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I I don't do a ton of gym stuff, but she does both running and a ton of gym workouts. So she's, she's really well versed with that as well.
0: Very cool. Uh, Is that her laugh in the background? (laughs) Hi, Gabby. (laughs) Maybe we should get you on the podcast too. (laughs) Yeah, yeah um okay well i want to be respectful of your time i really appreciate all this information i'll make sure to post links uh to find jim and gabby in the show notes and uh anything else you want to add jim or do you think we covered everything
1: oh yeah i can also um in addition to being able to contact me through my website i can also uh, i'll put my email through the podcast here too it's it's jimsaintamore at gmail.com and that's spelled J I M S A I N T a m o u r at gmail.com
0: perfect okay southwest florida that's all we have for you we'll be talking to you next week thanks a lot thanks jim why guess when you can test do you get hangry or crash after a carb heavy meal these could be indicators that there is a dysfunction in your blood glucose regulation If left unchecked, it can lead to irreversible changes. If you catch it quick enough, you can make diet and lifestyle changes that will get your levels where they need to be. 88% of Americans are pre-diabetic and don't know it. Diabetes underpins many of the pathologies we deal with in this country, such as obesity, high blood pressure, heart disease, and stroke. For some reason, it is rarely screened with your physician. And if they do test for blood glucose, it's usually with an A1C or a fasting glucose, which can sometimes give you a false negative. NutriSense is a company that supplies continuous glucose monitors. We have paired with NutriSense to get you real-time data to see how your physiology responds to glucose. The NutriSense app lets you track your daily activity to see how food, sleep, exercise, and stress impact your glucose. You can log or import this data into the NutriSense app to see the effect on your blood glucose levels as soon as it happens. Use the code DRCHRIS25 for $25 off your order today. Do you have unexplained pain? or do you wonder just how healthy you are? When was the last time you had your blood tested? Blood chemistry analysis is a great tool to stay ahead of any health conditions, and now you can have control of your health with Let's Get Checked. Let's Get Checked is an incredible company that sends blood tests to your home. You can choose from over 30 different tests, whether that's thyroid function, testosterone, micronutrient, cholesterol, or C-reactive protein, which is a marker for inflammation. It is sent to you with free shipping and you get results in two to five days no physician referral needed. Use the code DPT25 for 25% off. You can find links in the show notes. Did you know that you can get started with physical therapy without a physician's referral? Physical therapists don't just solve pain, we get down to the root cause and keep it from coming back. We also discuss all things health such as nutrition and lifestyle changes. If you feel that you could use some help, let's get on a free console call go to www.dynamicnaples.com and sign up for a free call. Also, if you like this podcast, please give us a rating wherever you listen to podcasts. It helps us spread the message. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.